0: Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Breda Pest Management, the official pest control of UGA Athletics.
1: Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. Coming up in a couple of minutes, really interesting look at the two quarterbacks committed to be at Georgia as part of the class of 2024, including some really insightful stuff from Dylan Raiola about exactly why it was that he chose UGA. We'll give that to you coming up here in just a couple of minutes. As we begin today's show, I will remind you that I am on my way on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. So for the next couple of days here on the show, we are pre-recorded. But the good news is what you're hearing on Wednesday, we actually only recorded just yesterday Uh, I'm speaking to you on a Tuesday for sure that's going to air on Wednesday so this isn't all that wildly different uh, from a news cycle standpoint than than what it otherwise would be and we've also I think worked really hard this week to kind of create some content that I think is going to be really fun and really good and I told you this yesterday that I kind of like the idea of themes you know when we were out in February we kind of used a little bit of a theme week we kind of looked at Mount Rushmore's and history of Georgia football and things like that and the feedback on that was actually really really good and a few weeks ago we took a little bit of vacation time we also kind of did a little bit of a theme around bold predictions and so many of you shared so many great bold predictions we tried to do our best to kind of broadcast all of those out and I thought that was really fun and once again we had good feedback on that so we thought hey well why not come back with another series of kind of themes related to a couple of pre-recorded shows here as a way of setting the stage for the upcoming season and so we kind of landed on the idea of how about some over-unders you know let's set a number let's create a debate over it or under it in terms of the upcoming season and one of those you're gonna hear mike griffith weigh in on this in a minute connor riley did a great job of setting some of this up for us yesterday but one of those is going to be involving georgia quarterback carson Beck. and when i said we are anticipating Beck right now to be the starter And so we are setting the number for Beck for the upcoming season at 27 touchdown passes thrown. Now, as Connor pointed out yesterday, that happens to coincide with the exact number that Stetson Bennett had in 2022. Bennett had more than, more than that in 2021, uh, but that was the number for for uh, Bennett in 2022. And yet, ultimately, the, the, the number here is based on more than just the Bennett years. Because uh, I think you also have to kind of factor in what Georgia was from a passing standpoint before Todd Munkin, before Stetson became the starter. You have to go back and look at the era in which Mike Bobo was here, understanding some of his philosophies in place then, or also representative now, Uh, Some of those years were very prolific for Georgia quarterbacks. Not all of them were, but some of them were. And so you have to try to use all of that as sort of the total picture for what it might look like for Beck if he is indeed the full season starter here this season. And so the number we've arrived at is 27. I'm going to give you my answer on this here in a moment. But I want to start with a little bit different idea around Carson Beck because I've actually been thinking about Carson here a little bit. And I think there's some kind of fascinating stuff out there with Carson here right now like one of the things that we know is that Carson has openly embraced if we are to assume here for a moment and for the sake of conversation here moving forward we are going to assume that Carson Beck is Georgia's starting quarterback the one thing that Beck seems to know full well one thing that Carson seems to be very wide-eyed about and open to is the idea that he steps into a position where there is very big shoes to fill not just because Stetson was a prolific player but also because Georgia has won the last two national championships and really the only way in which Beck's going to be judged this year in at least in a lot of measure one of the only ways that Beck's going to be judged is does he maintain Georgia's status as kind of a national championship contending program? Does he help Georgia go for three in 23? And as I said before, from that standpoint, Carson seems to be very, very open to all of that, openly acknowledging all of that. In fact, he did a recent podcast interview with some folks in his home state of Florida where he talked about the fact that, hey, on me at UGA, given what Stetson did, given what Georgia has done, Of course, there is a lot of pressure on me right now. Carson very open about this. This is what he said recently.
2: There is a ton of pressure, you know, like Mm -hmm. whatever ends up happening, um, if that is me in the spot, um, there's tons of pressure because the guy that did it before, you know, did win two national championships Mm -hmm. and had an unbelievable career. Mm -hmm. Um, But like that's out of my control what he did, you know. Mm -hmm. The only thing I can control is – going into practice on monday making sure i do that and then tuesday and then wednesday you know and day by day and focus on each opponent individually and just get first downs and score touchdowns you Mm -hmm. know that's that's all i can focus on because if i start to think about oh well i have to be this no i just got to be myself Mm -hmm. you know and at the end of the day that's all you got to do as a football player is just be you and you know if if things work out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But, you know, I have confidence in my ability, and I think if I just be myself, it'll work. I think that's a great
1: answer from Carson Beck. There's very little, if you could rewrite an answer for him, there's very little I think you would do to change what Carson says there. He acknowledges the reality of the fact that, yes, being starting quarterback in a place like Georgia includes some pressure, and yet ultimately the best way to kind of manage that Level of expectation is to just sort of be myself and go out and do the best that I can do. Let the chips fall where they may. I think that's all really well said by Carson. However, one of the things I want to do to kind of start our week of, or not, it's not a full week. It's just a few days here. Are our series of pre-recorded shows. One of the things I want to do to kind of kick all of this off, though, is is to kind of consider some of that pressure on back and to maybe kind of give you two reasons I believe why there's actually maybe. A little less pressure than Carson describes there. Even though the pressure is probably enormous and the expectations of George are huge, there's at least a way to frame this conversation that ultimately kind of puts a little bit less pressure on Carson Beck. and maybe from a mental standpoint, this will be helpful. Here is kind of what I mean by this. that while the pressure at George is gigantic, I do not believe that Carson Beck wears all of that by himself alone on his own shoulders. That some of this pressure, is also going to be shared by Mike Bobo stepping into the offensive coordinator role. And I don't think everybody necessarily feels this way, but the one thing I kind of feel is if you gave me a choice of a great quarterback or a great offensive coordinator at the college level, I want the great coordinator. That I feel like I see a lot of examples where a great coordinator propels uh, an average quarterback to be great player, whereas I don't know how frequently a great quarterback propels an average play caller into the same kind of greatness. In the NFL, that may be the case. In the NFL, that may truly be kind of a player-driven league, where if you've got a Mahomes, or if you've got a whatever, if you've got one of those kind of quarterbacks, then it can make almost any play caller look smart. Although, I guess in the case of Mahomes, he's working with Andy Reid, so that's probably a pretty good got to be working with. But the overall point here is is that great quarterbacks and the NFL, they may make average coordinators look good from time to time. But at the college level, I just think coaching still matters. I, I think it does. And I like the idea of having a great coordinator. I think George has had one in Todd Munkin. And I think that Mike Bobo can be one here again in 2023. But he's got some pressure on him to do that. And from the standpoint of Carson Beck, that may actually be kind of a good thing that the spotlight isn't just back stepping on to the field in the shoes of Stetson Bennett the, the position he once occupied but it's also Mike Bobo returning to Georgia and stepping into the prodigious shoes that Todd Munkin has filled the last couple of seasons Munkin was a transformational figure for this Georgia offense and I think that Mike Bobo wants to take that baton and keep that momentum going here in 2023 and so One of the things that actually might make Carson a little bit more comfortable at Georgia is shows like this when we're doing the Monday morning quarterback stuff of what did Georgia do in the game and how did this go and, you know, all the kind of things that fans just do sort of second guess everything that happens in a football field. It won't just be like magnified onto Carson Beck and looking at everything that he does in a microscope. Mike Bobo is going to get a lot of that attention there as well. So I think that actually kind of makes the the transition for Carson maybe a little bit more comfortable as the Georgia starting quarterback here this year. It also kind of reminds me of, you want going to go back to, I guess this was like March maybe, Uh, you know, Carson also kind of talked about stepping into the role here with Mike Bobo, also stepping into the role as offensive coordinator. And even way back then, the indication we have is, is that, uh, Carson Beck was really comfortable with and looking forward to working with Mike Bobo. This is what, uh, Carson said at the time about that.
2: Yeah, no, I, I really like coach Bobo. And, um, whenever, uh, coach Faulkner left last year, whenever he went to tech, um, Bobo worked with us for a few days leading up to the national championship. And I was like, I really like this guy. You know, he worked the hell out of us. Um, our indies were fast-paced, up-tempo. I was like, okay, like this guy, he knows what he's doing. Um, and then obviously when he got named OC, I was obviously very excited about that because it's like in-house, you know. It's not like we're taking somebody from out. So I'm like, okay, we might keep some of the same stuff. Obviously he's going to put his spin on it. Um, but not going out of you know, our organization and keeping someone that has been a part of Georgia for such a long time. You know, um, I really enjoy and obviously we've met and talked, but it'll it'll be a lot of fun. And I think our offense will have a new spin on it for sure.
1: So I think Beck and Bobo together could be a really fun pairing. And I think a lot of Georgia fans feel the same way on that, too. But let me give you a completely different reason also why I think the idea of enormous pressure around carson back a notion that he's completely embracing maybe slightly different in reality than it kind of appears on the one hand beck will share some of that pressure with mike bobo as we just mentioned on the other hand the idea of back at georgia does not have to be nearly as short term of a proposition as some people seem to be assuming that it is i thought that car uh Connor rod wrote a great story recently dog nation.com on this very notion there too where you know there's a lot of talk right now about the fact that Dylan Riola, the number one recruit in the country for the class of 2024, he's on his way here to UGA, he wants to wear number 15. That's the number that uh, Beck wears right now. To be clear, I don't think anything about Riola wanting 15 is in any way intended to be a slight against Carson Beck for all. I know Dylan doesn't even know that Beck wears number 15. I you know I, I just think this is something that Dylan wants to do. I don't think it's necessarily a slight, you know, on on Beck in in the least here, but I do think it kind of accentuates a little bit of Maybe a misbegotten notion that some have about Carson Beck. I think I think there's this assumption that Beck represents the future of Georgia football. And that he's going to come in, he's going to ball out this year, and then he's going to be gone. He's going to be darting off to the NFL, kind of a one-and-done type thing as the Georgia starting quarterback and maybe that happens it very well you know could happen I'm sure Carson would like for it to happen even though he's just now becoming his Georgia starting quarterback he has been out of college or just out of high school uh, going back to 2020 so while he hasn't played a ton yet he has now waited a few years for his opportunity so if he were to perform well enough to get NFL draft scouts attention I have no doubt he wouldn't mind maybe moving on and going to the NFL after this season But the mistake that some Georgia fans are making potentially right now could be the same one they made with Stetson Bennett after the 2021 season. A lot of folks thought, okay, well, Bennett had his moment. He won his national championship. And maybe the best thing for him is just to sort of move on. But Stetson Bennett's response to that was, well, why would I move on? I'm enjoying myself here at UGA. And he came back and won another national championship. And I think it's important, you know, for Georgia fans going to keep this in mind for Carson Beck there as well, that while Beck could step up, perform well, and leave after this year. The truth is, is that given the COVID year that everybody got and given the redshirt year that Beck also got, if Beck wanted to be, he could be Georgia's starting quarterback for the next three seasons if Georgia also wanted that there as well. In other words, from a Carson Beck-centric standpoint, not looking at the totality of the Georgia quarterback situation, but looking at specifically what's best for Carson Beck, I'm sure Carson thinks about this of, OK, well, you know, this is my year to kind of make something happen. And yet I also potentially kind of come back and do more of this if I wanted to. In other words, I don't have to have such a short term scarcity mindset about what I have a chance to do. The a quarterback position and the idea of being patient, and letting the moment come to him back, doing that as a starting quarterback, it would make sense that he might behave that way given the fact that's exactly the way that he behaved while he was waiting to become Georgia starting quarterback so patience seems to be something that Beck you know has a good bit of prior to becoming a Georgia starter maybe now that he is a Georgia starter uh, there as well in fact here is Carson Beck one more time on the idea of the waiting game waiting to to become the Georgia starting quarterback and now wanting to relax and let all of this happen for him in the uh, due time that he was willing to let kind of play out Carson Beck one more time
2: Obviously, I came here for a reason in the first place. So kind of obviously things don't go your way sometimes, like you said, and waiting isn't the first option as you just clearly stated with the you know percentages of people that have left and quarterbacks that have left. But um, for me, I don't know. Like, like I said, um, I came here for a reason. And, you know, obviously the situation didn't work out the way I wanted it to, but it's not my plan. And at the end of the day, you know, things are going to work out the way they're supposed to. And I feel like, you know, the knowledge that I've been able to gain and watch two really good quarterbacks and Stetson who have really good two last years, you know, um, kind of just develop underneath that and make sure that when I do finally get my chance that I'm fully ready and capable for anything that might be thrown my way.
1: Let me sum up this entire conversation this way. There is a lot that I am pretty uncertain about when it comes to Carson Beck. As I mentioned, I have no idea how much longer he's going to be at George. Is it just for this year? Is it two more years after that? Are we just kind of getting started in the Carson Beck era? Or is this really sort of a short term, one and done type situation? I can honestly say I don't know. And any opinion would be really very little more than just a guess. I also don't quite know what, if we were to assume that Beck starts for a full season, what category of Georgia quarterback is he going to go into? Is he going to go into that sort of top shelf category of the very best players at this position? Is he in the group below that of solid starter who maybe didn't quite do everything he wanted to do? I'm not quite so sure about that either. I, I think there's a lot about Beck that I don't know. But when it comes back to the question that started all of this, expectations specifically for Beck this year, handling the pressure specifically on him this year, I am more bullish than not. I set the over-under at 27 touchdown passes thrown for Carson here this season, and if I had to answer my own question on that, I would go over that. I would go over the 27 because while there is a lot about Carson I'm not quite so sure about, there is one thing I am pretty confident in. The Georgia offense works now, and yes, the architect of a lot of what we see on the field, Todd Munkin, is now gone the the requisite component pieces of all of that I think remain in place you ever hear the the idea about so-and-so has good bones you know like a house is old but it's got good bones I think the Georgia offense got some pretty good bone structure right now I think Todd Munkin saw to the to, to the development of all of that and I think that Mike Bubbo now gets to be the 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 next in line to kind of manage that. And I believe that the Georgia offense is going to function pretty efficiently here this season. And I believe that Carson Beck's going to benefit from that. So I think the ultimate Beck story is still yet to be written, and your guess is as good as mine, about how all of that finally concludes. But in terms of giving Georgia a capable hand here at this spot, and in terms of producing the kind of uh, prolific stats that Georgia fans have grown accustomed to over the course of the last couple of seasons, I think that Carson Beck is more than ready to do all of that you my name is Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans presented today by Breda Pest Management. We are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today live on video. Normally, it's 1st and 15, dognation.com, Dog Nation app. That's normally at 945. For the next couple of days, we're only going to start at 10. I'll, I'll be back live again on Tuesday, and so we'll get back to the 1st and 15 there at that point. But for now, it's Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch there at 10am, dognation.com, of course, at that same time. And Radio Noon, Athens Sports it's Radio 96 the Ref Podcast, wherever you find them. Apple, Spotify, everything else in between. Just really happy to have you as a part of the program today. And a big thanks to our friends at Breda Pest Management who make it all possible, the official pest control provider of UG Athletics. I was looking at some artist renderings the other day. You know, George is about to get a big upgrade to Foley Field, uh, the baseball complex giving Georgia some much-needed enhanced facilities there for baseball. Got a new track facility at some point in time coming up as well. And all those new buildings, one thing we know about them, they'll be protected from termites, bugs, and critters, and everything else from our friends at Breda Pass Management. That same level of strength they provide UGA, they can provide for you there as well. And the good news is, when you make the switch to Breda Pass Management, a company that's been in business since 1975 with 125 employees working hard all over our market area here, when you make the switch to Braid to Pest Management, they're going to put more money in your pocket just for making that decision because all of the resources, all of the strengths they've developed over the years, they want to allow you to leverage those for your benefit because you may be working with a more fly-by-night, weaker, less resourced company, and they're just struggling to keep up. They're struggling to keep their head above water. And you feel the effect of that because year after year, you get that letter in the mail of, you know, the cost of service is going up. And it seems like as the cost of service goes up, the level of service just keeps going down. That's a frustrating experience. So make the decision to change all that. Put more money back in your pocket by switching to Breda Pest Management today. Find them online at bredapest.com. That's B-R-E-D-A, BREDA, BredaPest.com, and you can uh, enjoy the same pest control provider that takes care of all of UG Athletics. Pass Manager brings Dog Nation Daily to you here today. So, coming up in a moment, Mike Griffith is going to join us, and Mike will do what we set up yesterday the question about the over under total for Carson Beck, a few other questions as it relates to Georgia football. Mike will answer all all of those in a moment, including a couple I did not get a chance to ask to uh, Connor Riley on Tuesday. So full fun interview with Mike Griffith here coming up in just a moment. Also, before we're done later on today, too, uh, details about how you can join us for the third Dog Nation cruise, setting sail April of 2024. We announced that yesterday. That was so much fun, and we want all of you to be a part of that. So we'll give you more details about that. For now, though, let's go around the doghouse here today. And speaking of quarterbacks, let's just kind of keep that uh, narrative going here for a moment uh, jeff Sintel, who will join us on friday as he always does was out in california last week for the elite 11 finals and georgia was fortunate enough to have two quarterback commits represented there at the Elite 11 finals last week. And I want to give you a chance to hear from both of them. Now, I'm going to invite you to go to the Dog Nation YouTube page and watch the full interview with Dylan Riola. It's worth your time. The full interview with Ryan Puglisi, that's worth your time. But I want to give you at least a little bit of a snippet of this here right now, including what I think is a really fun, cool, introspective moment from Dylan Riola here, who you know obviously is the nation's number one recruit. And it's been a wide ranging twisting story for him about how ultimately he lands at georgia Jeff tell asked dylan you know what was the moment you knew you wanted to be a dog and georgia went from being a school you were considering to the right option for you i thought dylan gave a really good answer to that so around the doghouse let me let you hear from dylan raiola
2: yeah so i attended a national championship game um my sister went to tcu and that was how that came about uh but you know then i watching them play awesome, you know, them winning and all that, Um, but I tried to take all the emotion out of it, you know, anybody could say they want to go play for national championship team, but uh, you know, then I went back up in March, um, and having the relationship I've had with them throughout this whole recruiting process, uh, they were the first school to offer me, and first school to, you know, kind of believe in me, so uh, just having having that, uh, I would say that when I wanted to be a dog was March 19th probably dinner time coach smart came to dinner and i told him coach smart that i wanted to be a dog uh, i was with his son andrew and i told both of them and they were excited but uh yeah that was probably the moment i knew
1: let me tell you my favorite part of that answer from Ryola. there there's a concept in politics called earned media what that means is is that if you want to pay for tv commercials or pay for ads in the newspaper or pay for whatever that can be really really expensive but if you have ideas that are interesting enough you can get the media to talk about you free, and that's kind of earned media. You have earned media coverage that if you had to pay for it, it, would be very expensive. But you're getting it for free because your ideas are just interesting enough. Well, I think there's also an earned media concept in college football too. That if you're Georgia and when you're the last, in you're one of the last two teams playing for a national championship there is obviously a lot to gain for you from winning the national championship but there's also a certain idea of like earned media for the future when the eyes of the college football world are on you you're getting some benefit from that That would be very expensive if you tried to buy that level of media coverage you're getting recruits to notice you in a way that would only be possible if you're one of the only teams left playing you're out in a place like los angeles big city fun to travel to and dylan riola says I was in that building. I was in SoFi Stadium. I was watching Georgia play right then. And obviously we know that riola has got a little bit of a relationship with Matthew Stafford. That clearly helps here. But there's an element of the earned media for Georgia being in LA for the second straight year, winning another national championship that obviously resonates with a guy like Dylan Riola. He says that there in his own words. and I think that's really interesting. Now, Ryan Puglisi also was there at the Elite 11 and listen Puglisi one of those guys that it's just a fact is going to get it lost in the shuffle a little bit in comparison to someone like Raiola because of all the attention that Dylan's going to get but Puglisi seems to be a very good quarterback in his own right his time in California demonstrates that as a part of the Elite 11 finals and Ryan Puglisi talked to Jeff Centel and Dog Nation about all of the things about his own abilities but he also shared a little bit about what Dylan Riolà, what he sees in him and it was kind of nice to hear what Riolà also sees in uh and Puglisi too here's a fun clip from Ryan Puglisi full interview of course Dog Nation YouTube page great
0: kid yeah man it was a great time um (laughs) I told another reporter, like, we're teammates now. And uh, it's kind of obviously we're going to compete against each other because we want to make each other better. But it's not competing to be like, I'm better than you, or, he's better than me. Like, it's not like that at all.
2: It's funny. He said, man, the kid throws a great ball. That was yeah. his first impression. He, your, what was your first impression? Same, same,
1: same, same exact thing. Uh, obviously, he's he's an amazing talent. And throws a
0: great ball as well.
1: So great to hear from Muglisi. Impressed by Dylan Raiola. Also nice to hear that Dylan's impressed with him. And uh, fun to think about what these two guys are going to get a chance to be a part of with a very, very deep and crowded quarterback competition at Georgia in future years. That is Around the doghouse on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Breda Pest Management here today. Now, we have a busy show left for you over the course of our time. We're going to begin some of our official predictions for the upcoming season. I'm going to give you the full Order of or finish, at least in my mind, for the SEC East of this season. We'll do that before we're all said and done. As I said, we'll also give you more details for the Dog Nation cruise coming up next April. As I'm on my own Royal Caribbean cruise uh, here this particular weekend, but for now, on all of the chatter about where George is heading this upcoming season, outlook for Carson back, and so much more. Let's talk to Mike Griffith here today on Dog Nation Daily, presented by breda Pass Management. <music> From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a dognation.com insider. And here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Brayda Pest Management, happy to have Mike Griffith here on the program today as my cruise vacation kind of gets going here a little bit. Fun to do some pre-recorded shows, and Mike, kind enough to join us here for this right now, he actually has no idea what I'm about to ask him, and... When we did some vacation stuff a little earlier, we kind of did a little bit of a theme around that. I think we had bold predictions for a theme for a, a vacation week that I had. So that seemed to have gone well. We did some, uh, what, some, uh, what we do, it was the Mount Rushmore thing back in February. That kind of worked really well. So I kind of wanted to keep a little bit of a theme in place because that seems to have been a pretty good little device here for some of the vacation shows we've done this year. So with that in mind here right now, and I uh, want to do some over under stuff here right now. Looking at some numbers oh. for the upcoming season, over unders. Mike, you can hear the groan and the grunt coming his way right there. Mike, I think I've got this. You know, kind of set up in kind of a fun way. I think this will lead to kind of a fun conversation. So, can I get you to participate in a little over under Absolutely. stuff with this variety?
0: Absolutely. I'm not prepared, just so everybody knows. This is very, this is very for the moment.
1: Exactly. So, so I, so I intentionally did not give these to you beforehand because I just. Your sort of knee jerk reaction to this because ultimately that's probably better than. Uh, you know, something that you might have more time to think about. And really, the onus is on me to sort of set a good number, right? If I set a good number, it shouldn't be an easy answer one way or another anyway. So I guess folks can kind of decide if they feel like I have set, you know, set some good numbers here for this. And Mike, you have a chance to do that there as well. In fact, if you don't mind, let's sort of jump into the first one of these right now. I want to look at the quarterback situation. I want to look at presumed starter here, Carson Beck, at the quarterback spot. And I want to set an over-under total for touchdown passes thrown for Beck here this season Mike I'm going to set that at 27 over or under 27 touchdown passes this year for Carson Beck
0: well we're presuming a 15 or 14 game schedule so I'm going to go with the over on that
1: okay you are so I wasn't quite sure how you would go on this necessarily because you know the number and I'll tell you how I did this I went back and looked at the full tenure for Kirby Smart as head coach, including the last two years for Stetson Bennett, ironically, 27 was his touchdown total from a year ago. He was more than that in 2021. You know, Jake Fromm in 2018 had one year where he was in excess of that 27 number. But I also included some of the latter years of the Mike Bobo era, including some of the the, the Aaron uh, uh, Murray stuff, which was obviously you know well in excess of the 27 touchdown. So I tried to get the full picture of what Bobo has been as an offensive coordinator what Georgia was in its two previous years, what Kirby Smart kind of was pre-Todd Munkin? Because I think all of those pieces kind of go together to sort of equal well, this. And I wasn't quite sure how you would answer that question, but you answer well, I, over tell pretty you
0: fast. I with, I tell you, I'll tell you why I went over. Because unlike Stetson Bennett, Carson is not that sort of mobility. He has mobility to buy time, and he's athletic but he's not a guy that's, that's going to run 64 yards up the middle on defense he's not a guy that's going to take it around the end and dive inside I mean he's going to make some runs I think and you know he'll quarterback sneak but I don't think you're going to see a lot of rushing touchdowns from Carson back relative to Stetson Bennett number one number two because this offensive line is so powerful you're going to see teams that really have to load the box and that should create some opportunities on the outside um regardless of if it's Carson or Brock, and I actually expect both of them to start games this year. Carson predominantly, but I think that uh, we're going to see with Mike Bobo. Uh, I think Georgia's going to be very conscientious of their offensive numbers. They got Raiola coming in here. Um, I don't think he signs until December, right? So you don't you want to make sure you send the message that yes, there's going to be some offense here. And then of course, Aaron Murray has had his famous quote that uh, Mike Bobo is going to throw the beep out of the ball. And I I believe that. So I I think that's why I went with the over.
1: I like it. So we're off to a good start here, Mike. That's exactly how this game is played. Let's move on and do another over-under. And this time, let's look at the rushing situation for George. And I'm going to be a little bit less specific about this one than I was a moment ago, where I specifically set a number four Carson back. In this particular case, I'm just going to say for Georgia's leading rusher, and you can talk about who you think that's going to be. I think most of us probably think it's going to be Kendall Milton, and I'll I'll leave some room for you to say that. But for Georgia's leading rusher here this year, the over-under is 843 yards rushing on the season. Over or under that for Georgia's leading rusher here this year?
0: Boy, that's tough. That's tough because the intangibles is the injuries. And, you know and how Kirby manages the running back. So, for example, you know, Kendall Milton may be the starter, but you're not going to see Kendall Milton carrying the ball 25 or 20 times a game when you're playing that September portion of the schedule. Just like last year, you didn't see Kenny McIntosh really poured on until later. Well, that was by design. Kirby was down on running back numbers. He knew he would need McIntosh down the stretch, and therefore there was no need to really run Kenny McIntosh between the tackles. He was more of a receiver. Um, I think in the rotation of Kendall – uh, Dejan Edwards, um, you know, one of the Robinsons or both of the Robinsons. Yeah. I, I, 843 or 47 over 15 games. Boy, that is, that's a, you set a really good line there, Brandon. Thank Thank I'm going to go a little, I'm going to go, I'm going to go over. Okay. Tell you, and I'll, I'll tell you why. Because just, just based on the odds and based on the hamstrings, I don't think both of those guys are going to stay healthy all year, and I think one of those guys is going to have to carry more of the ball. So I don't know which one it's going to be, but one of those guys is going to go over that number.
1: Okay, so follow up on that. So are you, so you're, you're right now not ready to commit to a leading rusher yet for Jordan? That's <laughs> – that's kind of why I didn't give you a specific name here for this and just sort of put a number on that leading rusher obviously Georgia had two different leading rushers in both 2022 and 2021 it was Amir and Georgia's first national championship season was Kenny McIntosh a year ago so we've seen a different leading rusher for Georgia now going back the last two seasons well
0: and and with Kirby I I think it might have been you on one of our dog nation calls in the morning I mean you know there was a year where Elijah Holyfield had more yards rushing than DeAndre Swift well clearly Swift was the more explosive player but you know Kirby, you know is very good about being. A fit, as I think Kendall Milton is more explosive than Dejan Edwards. I don't think it's quite that pronounced as a difference as it was with Swift and Holyfield. And and I liked Holyfield; he was you know very you know talented guy and blue collar. But um, but I think Kirby is very efficient with his players. And when you're trying to win a national championship, it's like trying to win a race at Talladega. You got to make it to the final lap. Yeah. And one of the things George has done really well is player efficiency and roster management. This is this is where Kirby Smart, I think, is the best in the business. This is where I think he's a better coach than Nick Saban is with roster management. So, yeah, sure, could, could Kendall Milton rush for 1,500 yards? If Kirby Smart really wanted to dig in, yeah. But why in the world would you do that when you have other capable running backs that can take some of the carries in some of these games against Ball State and UT Martin and you know, some of the lesser teams in blowout games, Vanderbilt. Um, you know, Kirby, Kirby doesn't have to operate with numbers. When Trayvon Walker gets picked number one overall, uh, you know, despite not being first team Aussie, it sends a message to the players. Trust the system. Do your job. The NFL will take note. So, yes, could Kendall Milton be a 1,000-yard Of course he could. But that doesn't mean that he should be because it's about winning the championship here. It's not about running up the numbers. So I'll go slightly over that. But only because I expect that um, one of those guys might be banged up for a couple games, just, Look, just based on recent history.
1: Looking at the defense here for a moment, here's I'm going to ask you this question. I'm going to give you the total number of first team all SEC players on the Georgia defense. I'm going to set the over under at three. Over or under three first team all SEC defensive players for Georgia? For some context here, they had two this past year. Uh, on it was obviously Christopher Smith and Jalen Carter. Those were the first team All SEC guys had three in twenty twenty one. So looking at the twenty twenty three Georgia defense, over or under three first team All SEC defensive players?
0: That's it's phenomenal. That's a, just a phenomenal number. You know you the twenty twenty one defense may be the greatest in recent. They were they they actually let allow fewer points than any team since nineteen eighty six Oklahoma. And you are sitting here telling me. They only had three first-team picks. Well, here, part of that is some of the hard-headedness of the media. If you remember, the USA Today panel didn't have any preseason first-team guys for the 2021 Georgia team, offense or defense. How ridiculous was that? So some of this has to do with what does the preseason team look like. And now that is a, a two-time champion, they do get more respect, um, even while there's you know still some people you know jumping up and down for you know, two-loss Nick Saban or whatever. I, when I, I think of individuals that could be first team, I think of Michael Williams, yeah. who was a freshman All American last year, and who I believe will be a preseason first team. I think of Jamon Dumas Johnson. Um, you know, Jamon Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden. Neither one of those guys are going to have prolific tackle numbers once again because Kirby's teams are efficient and they're not on the field the whole game. Uh, so I would say only one of those guys, Malachi Starks. I don't know what his numbers look like. Uh, same with Javon Bullard. I'm going to take the push. I think three is exactly the number that they will have.
1: Yeah, I mean, some of this kind of comes down to like a guy that I would think of as a certainly potential first-team all-SEC guy would be a player like Smile Mondin. But at the beginning of the season, we don't yet know how healthy Smile's going to be. You know, that ankle injury may... Made- linger for him a uh, bit and if you're only playing a portion of the season even if you're playing your best in Georgia's biggest games which will come later on the year it's like you know that's a potential first team all SEC guy but is he going to be playing enough at the beginning of the season to kind of get the nod over somebody else who may have a full year to put together
0: well and and again like I said so much is it is about the hype you know Trayvon Walker was not a first team all SEC guy he was not a guy that everybody was talking He just wasn't he was the number one overall pick and and sometimes, you know, in Georgia's system, the numbers aren't there. Why? Because the offense holds the ball. The best defense is keeping your defense off the field. And, and you know, Mike Bobo is explosive as, it, as we expect the offense to be. Kirby is also going to be very efficient uh, keeping his offense on the field, one. And, two, substituting liberally. Players come in and find roles immediately at Georgia. That's part of the secret uh, of how Georgia gets five, so many five great five-star defensive players. They find roles for them. You know, they, they find opportunities for these guys. You're a third down this. Uh, you're a short yardage package that. So guys like Smile Munden and Jamon Duman, they're not on the field as high a percentage of the time as maybe other frontline players. Once again, efficiency, roster management, keeping these guys healthy throughout the course of the season, playing other kids when you get the opportunity, and the players trust. They know, hey, just do your job. You know, Trayvon Walker, not a first-team All-CC pick, number one overall pick. So... Um, we're, we're, we're kind of playing, some, playing a semantics game of how we think the, the media will react. And, and they are somewhat predictable because most of them uh, just look at numbers. You know, well, this guy had more tackles. He must be better. Well, not really. Um, and that does hurt George a little bit in the individual awards department. Uh, and yet they've had some major award winners. So you've had some guys, maybe you don't have the number of all-conference players, you know, but we've seen an Outland Trophy winner. We've seen a a Thorpe Award winner. We've seen a Mackey Award winner. Um, The the people that matter notice. So I'm going to say your over-under is perfect. I'm going to say three is just right. I'm going to take the push uh, because I think we'll see three on our defense this year.
1: Let's do uh, two quick final ones before we uh, let you go here today, Mike. Looking at the totality of the regular season, over-under one game decided by a touchdown or less, over-under one game decided, decided by a touchdown or less
0: i'm gonna say it'll be more than one decided by a touchdown or less
1: so you think that Georgia's is going to play at least two games that we would consider close to uh one score games yes that's interesting I,
0: and, and it's and it's not it's not you know well, uh, think back to last year i mean what was there ohio state and missouri is that right
1: two right that was two over the course of the 15 we're looking at just the regular season here right now oh
0: just regular okay yes. okay just a regular season okay i have to think about this so oh man brandon that's a really it's a, two two is the over-under
1: number or, or, or one, or, is, one, is, the one is the over-under yeah yeah
0: um okay so the non-conference schedule uh is a no um the road trips are auburn and tennessee yep um i could see now, let, let me ask you this: What if what if Georgia were to lose? A game? Does, it, does it matter if they're on either side? It's got to be one.
1: Right now, if they were to lose, that would obviously count as one of those. Uh, because I think the okay. assumption here is that uh, on the part of a lot of Georgia fans is is that Georgia could be skating to a twelve and zero season. So obviously, if they were to lose a game, then we'll count that. As, <laughs> we'll we'll count I'm, that I'm as go not with, a. I'm go uh,
0: with over because okay. I think they're going to lose. If I have to guess, I would I would think they're going to lose one game. So
1: you think they're going to lose but, in the and regular and season? That's interesting. Have,
0: I don't have that opponent. It's just to me, you know, just that you know they haven't lost a regular season game since 2020. It's just it's just an incredible number. It's just like sooner or later, right? Like just the numbers catch up with you. It's not like there's a team I look at and go, aha, that's the team because I don't see that team individually. I think they should win every game by double digits. But things happen. Like they should have beat Missouri by double. digits. They were very, very, very fortunate that, that Missouri, in part, beat themselves and they got some heroics from Kenny. McIntosh on a day that, you know, the offense couldn't, you know, comp- you know look good. There was too many field goals. There's, there's a lot of intangibles we really haven't figured out yet about this team. We, we don't know who their field goal kicker is in terms of, you know, how reliable. I mean, there's, there's some givens that, you know, we, we'd gotten comfortable. We knew that, you know, Stetson may you know, play like garbage for three quarters, but we knew in the fourth quarter he was going to play well most, of, most all the time, right? We, we don't know what Beck does under fire or, or Brock, what Brock Vandegrift's ceiling is. So I think the odds are they'll lose one and play one win within seven, so I'm going to take the over.
1: Let me do one final one here. Over under 1.5 SEC teams in the college football playoff. Over under 1.5 SEC Boy, teams good. in the college football playoff.
0: That's a, that's a good one. That's a good one, Brandon, because there's so many questions. So many great quarterbacks moved on. I mean, my goodness, look at the NFL draft and – how many SEC quarterbacks were selected in the first round? It was ridiculous. So, um, yeah, that's a, that's great. I, you know what? I'm going to go with the under. Okay. I'm going to go with the under. I, I think I don't think the loser of the SEC championship game gets in. I don't think um, because I do think that LSU and Alabama and A and M are going to beat each other up. And when Georgia wins that game, I don't think one of those losers is getting in. So I'm going to go with just one, just Georgia.
1: Mike, it's a fascinating conversation. We appreciate you doing it with us here on Dog Nation Daily, presented by Bray to Pest Management. I know while I'm gone and enjoying a little bit of a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation, you're going to have a lot of great stuff there at dognation.com. So our audience will enjoy reading that. I'll also tell them they should check out the great interview you did on Monday with Georgia Athletic Director Josh Brooks. And of course, we will look forward to talking to you back here on Dog Nation Daily very soon as well.
0: Outstanding. Thanks, Brandon.
1: let's take a look around the rest of the league this is sec through really good stuff there from mike griffith love the over under concept gonna be a fun way to kind of preview the upcoming seasons we're taking a little bit of time this week i'm enjoying a royal caribbean cruise vacation uh this week so a fun thing to do while i'm gone kind of previewing that with some over under numbers there i thought mike griffith got us off to a great start on all of that by the way speaking of a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. Obviously, I'm getting ready to enjoy one, and I'm excited to announce, as we did earlier this week, that Dog Nation's also going to be taking a vacation again next April there as well. The third ever Dog Nation cruise, and this one going to be bigger and better than anything we've ever done before. In fact, your time to respond to that is right now. We've already had such a huge response. So many folks booking their opportunity to be on board with us as this upcoming year We're going to be on board Allure of the Seas. That's right. For the first time ever, the Dog Nation crew is going to be on an Oasis-class ship. That means the largest class of ships that Royal Caribbean has on the seas right now, all of the neighborhoods, the, the Central Park neighborhood, the Boardwalk neighborhood, the Aqua Theater on the back of the ship, like so many different ways to enjoy the best of what Royal Caribbean has to offer allure of the seas is going to be amazing we've only got room for 200 state rooms on this particular cruise ship so it's going to be uh it's going to be a limited availability we've already had a lot of folks signing up for this already and obviously we want you to have your chance to be on this uh, on board with us there as well as we sail out april 22nd through the 26th of 2024 that's next spring you get a chance to be a part of that on board allure of the seas please check out our website royaldogs.com that is royaldogs.com for a lot more on that boy i'm excited about it Dog Nation Cruise returning in 2024. We announced that earlier this week and happy to have you on board with us there as well. Uh, that is going to be a great time. Okay, let's go cruising around uh, the SEC courtesy of Royal Caribbean here today. Now, I will tell you for tomorrow's show, for Friday's show, and then for Monday's show, I'm going to make some official predictions. We've kind of hinted at some of these, we're going to put them on paper the rest of the week that means tomorrow i'm going to have my official order of prediction for the sec east no big surprise but who we think is going to win that official order of prediction for the sec west and then obviously on monday we'll conclude it all with our in the final year of the four-team college football playoff we'll have our official predictions for all of that too so we'll do that tomorrow friday and monday uh, that's going to be a lot of fun as for today give you some sec through news i saw this the other day and i thought this was kind of interesting and i don't know if we are misinterpreting what's about to happen here or if maybe urban meyer and his wife shelly are misinterpreting what's about to happen here but there was an announcement a few weeks ago that netflix want to release a documentary on those championship era teams that meyer had there at florida 2006 through 2008 and i think most people were under the assumption well, this was going to be a negative-themed documentary, just because there's so much to be negative about, just given Aaron Hernandez and some of the stories around Florida there at that time. Now, obviously, they did win two championships, and Tim Tebow is part of those teams. So, even even those of us who view the you know Florida team as the lousy, stinking Gators, we would say obviously there's still some positives related to that. But I think most people sort of thought that Myers' handling of the situation there, in Florida was going to be kind of put into the spotlight here and most people kind of think it was going to be a negative themed documentary after all it seems like most documentaries are at least somewhat negative and so I think some folks thought this was going to be a negative uh slant on Florida maybe it still will be but it's important to note here is that Meyer and his wife Shelly have been kind of promoting the documentary Shelly recently saying on social media she can't wait for it Meyer himself has been kind of promoting it there too so maybe we're all wrong and maybe this is going to be one of those things that sort of ends up being a little bit of a pat on the back for Meyer and his time there handling the Florida program but that's not necessarily how everybody sort of sees this here right now a lot of folks have kind of assumed that some of the player arrests or the illusion of impropriety amongst some of those Florida players that would be put more in the spotlight here maybe a lot of that's going to be touched on but apparently Meyer and his wife don't exactly think it's going to be such a bad thing otherwise Maybe they wouldn't be spending so much time promoting it on social media. You're at least, you know, left to conclude, you know, based on all of uh, all all of that, if it is a positive light on Meyer, then it'll be a little bit of a contrast to what we've seen as of late. As I told you before, it's kind of amazing to me just how much the Meyer legacy has seemingly been reconsidered here. You know, given the way it ended for him at Ohio State, obviously, you know, the way it ended at Florida wasn't exactly the most glorious thing. His tenure there as the Jacksonville Jaguars coach was a total embarrassment, both on and off the field. So Meyer at one point in time, who was kind of mentioned as hard as it is to imagine, but within the last decade or so, was kind of mentioned within the same breath as Nick Saban in terms of top coaches in college football. A lot changed for Meyer very quickly as he left Ohio State and some of the issues he had with some of his assistant coaches there going to the Jacksonville jaguars so if, if this ends up being the kind of sort of news thing documentary type thing that paints meyer in a positive light it'll be i guess for him a refreshing change in the recent narrative that has i think really downgraded the way that meyer's kind of thought of in the football circle so we'll see what ends up being true on all of that uh, one of the SEC teams expected to take a step back this season at least according to one CBS writer Tom Fornelli, putting this out at cbsports.com of the teams that could take a step back here this year the team from the SEC that he mentions is Mississippi State that the fact that they were you know ranked the top 20 a year ago you know had what uh, what 9 total wins uh uh, yeah nine total wins uh last season uh so all told a pretty good year for mississippi state obviously highlighted by winning the egg bowl game at the end of the regular season now the thing that fornelli points out is is obviously there are very very tough circumstances here uh surrounding mississippi state obviously the passing of mike leach and that continues to be a very sad thing the entire sec world kind of reeling from all of that but to address the bulldogs on the field here for a moment I wonder how much of a true step back it will be for a Zach Arnett his first year as head coach. My guess is there probably will be some step back here. But it's important to keep in mind that when it comes to what has made Mississippi State sort of better than a lot of the experts would have thought the last couple of years, while you know clearly uh, Mike Leach was a part of that, there's also an element in which year after year, Arnett proved capable of developing a very, very capable Bulldogs defense. And now he kind of rised the level of head coach. But the defense that had been in place there, I think it remains. Now, will they scuffle a little bit offensively? Seems like they're likely to. We obviously wish Ryland Gody well, the tight end who transfers from Georgia over to Mississippi State. We think he's probably in a pretty good spot here, just given the fact that Mississippi State really hasn't had, you know, tight ends as a part of the offense, you know, prior to this under Mike Leach, the arrival of Gody, the change over here, sending a real signal that Arnett as head coach at Mississippi State wants to change the way the Bulldogs do their business offensively. They want to be a little bit more of a traditional team getting away from the Mike Leach air raid style and that kind of change over offensively typically comes with a whole lot of growing pains. So offensively there could be growing pains. Defensively they could be and probably will be just fine. So if you're in the SEC and you show up and play a pretty high level of defense week in and week out you may not win a ton of games but you're at least going to be A pretty tough opponent, and my guess is with Arnett as head coach, that's probably the story here. Is this going to be a tough team? Yes. Is it going to be a tough team to beat? I would think that's probably true there as well. They may take some losses, and truly, in Arnett's first year, they may take, as Fornelli predicts, a step back, and ultimately, Arnett may prove incapable of actually taking over the reins here and becoming the full-fledged, full-time coach. He's not an interim; he's got a long-term, multi-year deal but it still requires some sort of winning level of success to sort of step into that role and grow into the role as mississippi state head coach not obviously going to be able to do that but some of the hallmark stuff that has been in place for uh for for arnett since he's been defensive coordinator there my guess is there is at least some carryover to that with him there as a uh, head coach and then finally i'll give you this i saw an interesting story this is stepping outside the sec a little bit but saw where ryan day Was interviewed recently by ESPN.com, and the subject comes up of what you might describe as like mounting pressure for day at Ohio State. And basically, he acknowledges that and talks about the need to win every game there. But there's still a level of spin to this. I don't mean like that, some sort of nefarious way. I just mean, is the way in which a lot of this, a lot of time, this gets painted. And I do not want to be put in the position of defending Ohio State fans because that is not something I enjoy doing. But You know, Kirk Herbstreit did this the other day. We didn't like it when he did this. The overall tone of this story, ESPN.com, kind of does the same thing where it's sort of Ryan Day versus the crazy, unrealistic Ohio State fans. And as much as I would never want to be caught defending Ohio State fans for anything, in this particular case, I think they are painted in a very unfair light. The idea here is, is that Ohio State has lost to Michigan two years in a row. Is that acceptable to a place like Ohio State? No, it's not. And the way in which the Buckeyes fans get painted is, oh, they're unrealistic. They're, uh, un- they're incapable of being satisfied because they expect to win every single game. That's one of the things that Day said in this particular story. But that's not quite right. I think what the more reasonable-minded Ohio State fan, to the extent those people even exist, I think what what they would say is, hey, we are Ohio State we have an unparalleled level of resources against most of the teams that we play. That means everybody in the non-conference, but it also means almost everybody in the Big Ten. So in a lot of ways, you begin the year with a bunch of wins already baked into the schedule. So of course there's going to be an extra sort of magnified status to the game against Michigan at the end of the season. And, of course, if you fail to win that two years in a row, of course you're coming up short on that, especially when – and this is something else the ESPN story kind of touched on – especially when you're losing it two years in a row for kind of the same reason. You just could not match Michigan's toughness. You just couldn't do it. And Ohio State's made plenty of coaching changes here, including bringing in Jim Knowles, defensive coordinator. But they've brought in – you know, they've made plenty of coaching changes here over the course of the last year or so to try to match the toughness it felt like they were lacking in that game there against Michigan. So the day story is an interesting one. On the one hand, he acknowledges there's pressure at Ohio State, but on the other hand, it's sort of spun into a, oh, you know, around here we expect to go 12 and 0 each and every year. But more specifically what Ohio State fans have said, you're winning the other games just fine. At least, you know, most of these regular season games anyway, but you're going to show up and play better against Michigan. And listen, I don't like Buckeyes fans. But in this particular case, I don't think they are all wrong. And I guess, you know, kind of, you know, sort of bring this back home a little bit. I think if you want to live into a future world, 2024, 2025, when there are expanded conference seasons, you know, larger SEC, larger Big Ten, expanded college football playoff. At that point in time, just winning might be enough because you're playing tougher schedules. You're playing games that from week to week are a little bit more balanced than they are right now where a lot of teams feast on weak non-conference opponents even some of their in-conference games are pretty weak in the future you're going to have less of those and so if you want to tout yourself and say hey we're a winner we're winning most of our games in the future that might mean a little bit more but right now resource programs like Ohio State just have huge advantages against the teams that they're playing so from that standpoint not quite so sure any of that uh, matters all that much until you beat Michigan, which Day has not done in each of the last two years. Then he does have more pressure on him, and I would say rightly so. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And before we wrap up here today, I want to remind you about our friends at the finished Long Drink. I just love this time of year because I like being outside as much as I possibly can be, playing golf, going fishing, uh, sitting around by the pool, whatever you got going on. That cooler of the finished long drink is great to go with you on anything like that, whether you're trying the long drink cranberry, the long drink traditional in the blue can, uh, long drink strong, eight and a half percent alcohol by volume, long drink zero, no carbs, no sugar, uh, you know, kind of one of those great, you know, zero uh, carbs, zero sugar type things four different varieties whichever one you choose to use you're gonna love it uh, it looks like a beer because it comes in a can but it's not it's a ready to drink cocktail a really fun special new category of beverage that a lot of folks love and they love the finished long drink in particular so make sure you put in your zip code go to the longdrink.com, put in your zip code there and you can try some today the finished long drink happy to have them as a part of dog nation daily and happy to have all of you with us as well and as we kind of do some pre-recorded vacation shows here this week with me getting ready to take a royal caribbean cruise vacation i tried to bank a few of our golden shoe submissions to make sure we would have a golden shoe for each day while i'm gone so let's go ahead and throw the first one of those up here today and by the way a credit to our good friend kaylee manziel who shares this so cerebellum asked this is one of those memes that has been online for a while she says without googling name a famous historic battle many of you've probably seen this you may have participated played along with this so uh, bobo season on twitter gave his historic battle of being floored against the college football playoff something that the lousy Stinging gators have lost in every single year haven't really come close to making the college football playoff so bobo season having some fun with that and then kaylee manzel shared that with me as a recommendation for a golden shoe and so we will say yes to both kaylee and to bobo season Florida battling against the college football playoffs a pretty famous battle on our right we'll give you a golden shoe for that and speaking of the lousy stinking gators other battles they can't seem to win the one against the Georgia Bulldogs and the world's largest outdoor cocktail party 129 days from now we think they lose again that's our Gatorator countdown we will see all of you back here tomorrow Dog Nation Daily presented by Breda Pest Management